To Faithful, the music was transcendent, beautiful. True, it was just two regular men, one of them half-tone-deaf, in the echoey confines of a prison cell, but from time to time, Faithful felt as though he was granted the ears of the angels, to hear the praise of men and women and children as it came forth from their hearts. The metal door swung open, and two armed men strode in. One of them pointed at Faithful, and the other grabbed him around the neck and dragged him out into the hall, shutting and locking the door behind them. Faithful felt himself slammed hard against the stone wall. He snickered. <laughs> Was our singing really that bad? The taller of the two guards buried a fist in his stomach, sending him to the floor. Get up, he barked. You two can await your trials separately. That way you don't have the chance to get your story straight beforehand. They shoved him into the cell across the hall. He landed in a heap, just as the lock turned. Looking around in the faintest of moonlight, creeping in through a vent above, Faithful saw that this cell was a good deal smaller than the last, which he supposed was no hardship, as he was alone in here. Or was he? Scrambling to his feet, he struggled to survey the dark corners of the little rock-hewn room. There... In the deepest shadows beneath an uneven wall, someone was sitting, legs drawn up beneath him. No, beneath her. I've been waiting for you, Faithful. Oh no. Hi and Silver and Gutcheck Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory. As told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 15. Hopeful. Inanity had four meals to deliver this morning, which was just one shy of his record for a single day. In fact, there were only eight cells down here, and to Inanity's knowledge, there had never been a time when all eight were occupied. While a certain type of order was very much prized in Vanity Fair, there were not many things that would actually land someone in the dungeon. He set the tray, containing the four bowls, on the ground in the midst of the cells, and carefully lifted one of them to make his first delivery. This would be the tricky one. Mr. Carnal Fury was known to lie in wait by the little opening in the door and try to reach out and grab an anatee while he delivered his meals. For this reason, he used a four-foot-long pole to open the slat and used the same pole to slide the bowl full of food in. He opened it without incident and saw that the empty bowl from the night before was near enough to withdraw using the pole, which was unusual and therefore seemed a bit like a trap. He gripped the pole tightly, ready to fight for it if need be. One of these days, I'll kill you, the prisoner gritted from within the cell. Of course you will, but uh, today I need your bucket, and if you knock it over this time, you'll have to do without for a week. That's no fun. The bucket, precisely the same size as the opening, came skidding out into the hall. Inanity emptied its contents into a barrel, singing a rude little song he'd learned as a boy, and returned it to the prisoner, shutting and locking the slat with the pole and thanking his lucky stars that he still had all his fingers. Next, he visited the door of Mr. Judgmental, who cooperated, as always, albeit while condemning every aspect of Inanity's person, from his appearance to his character to his inefficient method of emptying waste buckets. 
Then he came to the new prisoners, whom he'd met outside the city gate the day before. Surely these would not attack him, physically or verbally, and yet Inanity was dreading these interactions most. He opened the access port of the first cell and slid the bowl in. Thank you, the gentleman said. You're welcome. I need your bucket, too. It's empty. All right, then. Have a nice, uh, or I guess, uh, goodbye. Inanity? He hovered there, hand on the slat. Yes? Could you do me a favor? No, I'm afraid I'm not allowed to do any- Could you just tell my friend that I'm okay? Tell him Faithful's okay? That's all. Sure, I will. Thank you. And Inanity? Yeah? You have a good day, too. I'll be praying for you. Inanity laughed bombastically. Oh, I like that! Your humor is as twisted as mine, Pilgrim. <laughs> he closed the slat and made his way over to Christian, murmuring, He'll pray for me. <laughs> Priceless. All at once, he stopped laughing and stood there, looking down at the bowl of mush in his hand. Thank you, he said. That night, as he brought the prisoners their evening meal, Inanity lingered at Faithful's door, the slat still open. What is it? called a sympathetic voice from within. Well, your, your friend. He called me a silly halfwit this morning. Faithful chuckled. <laughs> Surely other prisoners have called you worse. Yes, of course, but for some reason I did not expect it from him. He didn't mean it. He's upset, frightened, and perhaps feeling a bit abandoned. Were I still a betting man, I'd put a few coppers down on him apologizing soon. Well, we'll see. Can I ask you something, Faithful? Please do. What is it that you're so cheerful to be imprisoned for? To possibly die for? I, I just don't get it. Yeah. It intrigues you, doesn't it? It even troubles you. No, not even intrigues me so much. I, I just find it amusing. Interesting word choice, Faithful said. Ah, meaning not, and muse, meaning to think. This whole town and its fair are set up as continual ah amusements. They keep you from thinking about things that matter, about what's worth living for, worth dying for. What's the meaning of our brief lives? If every moment is spent in amusement and fleshly gratification, you can avoid these questions for a time. I, I have to go feed your friend, Faithful laughed. Well, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere if you'd like to continue our talk when you're done. Inanity left Faithful's food port open as he tended to Christian, something he'd never done before, and then sat down next to it, his back against the solid cell door. He imagined Faithful leaning against the same spot on the other side. My whole life, he said, I've chased after the delights that are seen and sold at our fair. But I will not lie, I've always hoped there was something more to live for. I can relate, said Faithful, and your hope would best find its resting place in the Celestial City, if you are willing to move along from this place and its amusements. I'm guessing that, deep down, you already know this, but all of these vanities are not only useless, unable to ultimately satisfy you, but they will in the end drown you in perdition and destruction. I was once just like you, 
inanity. I delighted in reveling, drinking to excess, swearing, lying, rioting, fornicating, Sabbath-breaking, and all manner of uncleanness. All the things that scratch the itch of the flesh for the moment, even while they erode the soul. You are correct, inanity said. I, I do know the truth of what you say. These things which make up my life and, and make me feel alive, the end of them is death. That is the hard truth, Faithful agreed. And for the sake of these very things, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. Oh, but what's the point of this? Inanity said. At least I'm not locked in a cell, hmm? <laughs> you have your religion and you'll die for it, but I have my freedom. And I'm going to go on living in it as long as I can. That's all anybody can really hope for, I suppose. Inanity, please consider that Enjoy your night, Faithful. I'm sure you'll have a great time there in your cell in the dungeon. I, however, have a date with a lady. We'll be stuffing ourselves at the tavern and taking in a raucous show at the Vanity Playhouse, and we'll see where it goes from there, if you know what I mean. But, you know, I'm sure whatever you have planned here will be just as fun. Ta-ta! When the slat closed again, Faithful lay back on the cold, hard rock and looked up into the darkness. Are you ready to talk to me now? The voice of Wanton. I told you to leave me. But you're all alone. Exactly. Leave me alone. I'd prefer solitude to your company. He covered his ears, but remembered that he'd tried this the night before, when Wanton had hounded him so much he'd barely slept a wink. The voice, it turned out, was coming from without and within at the same time. Just talk to me. Let me help you escape this filthy place. Even if it's just for a little while. He felt her hand brush gently along his arm. He shimmied a few more feet away from her. Wanton sat up, the moonlight glistening off her shiny hair and soft bare shoulders. Did I do something wrong? I'm going to get some sleep. I can help with that. How about a compromise? Do you do those? Of course, darling. I love compromise. All right, you let me sleep, and we'll talk in the morning, okay? You've got a deal. She snuggled up to his side. No, you go away. Let me sleep in solitude. That's the compromise. She sat up again, piled her hair atop her head, and, through a pouty expression, said, Fine. Be that way. Faithful slept well that night. He dreamt of the celestial city and the wonders he would encounter there. When he awakened, the narrow strip of broken sunlight coming in through the small vent above was projected perfectly onto his eyes. Faithful rubbed them and stood, waiting for the floating shapes to dissipate. When his vision came back into focus, he was pleasantly surprised to find himself alone. Then Wanton spoke from behind him. You're up. She reached around him and ran her fingers over his chest. Nah, I said we'd talk in the morning. But hey, if you're not willing to listen, I'm then... I'm a great listener. You can tell me anything. Your deepest, darkest secrets. You stay there. He walked across the cell, leaning against the opposite wall, and regarded her for a moment. Okay, this is what I wanted to tell you. When I was out in the midst of Vanity Fair, it was like being thrown back into my life in the City of Destruction. 
my old life. The place was thick with wicked men and the sort of women my father used to warn me about. He called them loose lasses, which is not very kind, I suppose. But here's the point. In the midst of Vanity Fair, I had a completely new perspective. You see, after I met you by the gate, I prayed that God would grant me the eyes of Jesus, that I would see people as he sees them. And out there, in the fair, I saw those women not as conquests to be had, or as sinners to judge, or even as temptations to be defeated. I saw them as broken, precious women, made in the image of God and loved by him. Broken and fallen as all of us are before we come to the place of deliverance. Precious, precious souls. Wanton yawned. <sighs> is there a point to this? Indeed there is. For when I look at you, Wanton, I see none of that. Only your true form. You are a reflection of my own shameful lusts. Memories of my wicked past. You are the world and the flesh projected like a lantern into the form of the enemy. Darkness masquerading as some dim, mottled light. Wanton shook her head and began to pace around the room quicker and quicker. I am disgusted by you, Wanton, because you represent all that remains in me of the old self. Wicked appetites yet to be destroyed. As she paced, Wanton began to change in appearance. Her soft, smooth shoulders fell and took on a knobby, reptilian appearance. You are the very provision for the flesh that I have vowed to avoid. The creature's hair became stringy and sparse, and its ears grew until they hung like dead fish. You are the sin nature which I am bound to put to death. Wanton was stalking frantically around the room now, a small, impish creature stooping low and emitting a rutting, guttural grunt with every step. Faithful reached out his hand and caught the creature by its neck. And I will put an end to you. He then stuffed Wanton into the waste bucket, which did not even come up to Faithful's knees, and yet with a dozen savage stomps, he managed to crush the creature all the way down into the vessel. Just then, the slat came up, and Faithful slid the bucket out into the hall. Good morning, Inanity, he said cheerfully. And uh, to you. Oh, you don't sound very happy today. I take it your night was not all you'd hoped? Faithful's breakfast appeared through the opening, along with a spoon. I'm not supposed to give you that, Inanity said. Could be sharpened into a weapon. Don't make me regret it, please. Oh, I won't, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Now, do you want to tell me why you're so down this morning? No, I suppose it's your fault. My fault? How? Well, last night, when you said Hold that... on a minute, Faithful said. I'd like to eat while we chat. I believe any distraction from this food is a good thing. No offense. Heavenly Father, thank you for this nourishment you have provided, and for this kind man who has served it, and even for this spoon, a reminder that your mercies are new every morning. Through Christ, my Lord and only Savior. Amen. He began to eat. Mmm. It's a little better today. Did you, uh, did you add salt? No. Huh. Well then, tell me how your bad mood is my doing. You must know. You spoke last night of the emptiness of my life, something which has vexed me off and on for years. I spent the whole evening thinking of how much I love those things you call sin. 
how impossible it would be to part with these old companions, and how miserable I always am during seasons of conviction when they come. I mean, when you called the distractions and pleasures of the fair empty, I could relate, but at least that kind of misery remains under the surface. The thoughts you prompted brought it up into the open. Last night was a series of troublesome and, and heart-affrighting hours, which I could scarcely bear. Well, clearly you've learned to banish these thoughts in the past. Why do you suppose they keep coming back? Inanity sighed. So many things might trigger one of these spells. Meeting a good man in the streets, hearing someone read the scriptures, having a headache, learning that a neighbor has fallen ill, hearing the bell toll for a dead man, which of course makes me consider my own inevitable death, and especially thinking of that fact which is indeed planted in all of us from birth, that when I die, I must quickly come to judgment. You must have found some mechanism of easing your conscience in the past, Faithful said, albeit temporarily. My first thoughts during hours of conviction for sin have always been to bury myself in that self-same sin until I've completely forgotten any sense of guilt or shame. That worked for a while, but eventually any thought of returning to my sin would only double my torment. And so I determined again and again to mend my ways so that I would not be damned. I see. And how did that go? Well, I did flee from my sin at times, and even from sinful company, hard as that is in this place. And it might surprise you that I even gave myself to religious duties, praying, reading, weeping for sin, speaking the truth to my neighbors, and many other good deeds of various kinds. And did that cure what ailed you? Again, for a time, but only for a time. Soon my troubles would come tumbling upon me again, burying my attempts at self-reformation. Have you never experienced this? Oh, for certain I have. And it's a good thing, too. The law is a teacher in Anity, not a savior. And if you try to give him that role, he will assail you endlessly and mercilessly. Trust me, I know. But make him your teacher and he will show you that all your righteousness is filthy rags that doing all the good works in the world will never save you or even profit you. And in fact, all your self-made religion amounts only to a pile of manure in the sight of God. This is true for all of us. We can make the pile bigger, but we can't make it anything else. <laughs> Very encouraging, Ananity said. Oh, but it is. Not for the flesh, but confidence in the flesh is for fools. Think of it this way. Say you run a hundred pounds into the shopkeeper's debt, and then you began paying for everything as you buy it. Your old debt still stands uncrossed in that man's books. He could sue you for that sum at any time and, and cast you into prison unless the debt is paid. But if all my prayers and weeping and good deeds can't do away with that debt, you can I hope to- We don't pay you to sit and chat with the prisoners. Get on with it. Yes, sir, Inanity called out. Sorry. He lowered his voice and said, I'll need to be quick serving dinner tonight. I've got to mop the floors upstairs, but uh, we can talk again in the morning. Good night, Faithful. Faithful peered out through the port in the door while Inanity stood and said, It's been nice chatting with you, sir. Uh, you too. Inanity said, groaning as he straightened. Did you hurt your back? No, I think it's just all you extra prisoners. Stooping down so much to deal with bowls and buckets and the like, you know, I, I just feel kind of 
stooped over. Faithful spent the balance of the morning reading from the Holy Book, which in God's good providence he'd been able to spirit in within the sleeve of his jacket, and spent the afternoon praying for wisdom and for the right words to say to inanity when he returned. Even the exchange of a few brief words during a hurried interaction might plant some good seeds. As the time for the evening meal approached, Faithful sat, cross-legged, facing the metal slat, waiting for it to rise. When it did, he was taken aback. Another familiar voice greeted him, and this one brought a lightning bolt of alarm up his spine. Hello, young man. Remember me? I do. Adam the First, I offered you a job once, and now you... I said I remember you. What do you want? I want to bury the hatchet. We've had our differences, yes, but I'm content to let bygones be just that. Faithful leaned down and peered through the opening to see the old man's wild eyes and crooked grin. As you can see, he said, I'm rather indisposed at the moment. Go bother someone else. But that's just it. That's what I'm offering you. I have the key to this door, see? He flashed a large metallic object. And I can open it for you and help you make good your escape. You senile old fool. You already admitted to me that if I went with you, you'd sell me as a slave. So what if I would? That would be better than dying here, no? Besides, we both know you'd be able to escape from me. Look at you, young and strong. I'm old and weak and I'll help you escape and you can get away from me whenever you want. Faithful thought for a moment, and then came to a decision. All right, we have an accord, he said, and reached his open hand through the port in the door. Ah, good to hear, the old man said, and gripped the proffered hand firmly. Faithful squeezed harder and harder. He felt bones crunch and heard Adam the First cry out in pain, but he squeezed harder still and wrapped the other hand around the old man's bony wrist. Then he braced his feet against the door, one on either side of the small opening, and began to pull the old man through. Narrow as his shoulders were, they were twice the width of that little square opening. Still, Faithful was intent on pulling this enemy in, tearing him apart. I told you what I'd do if we met again! Faithful shouted, feeling something give on the other side of the door. Did you think it an idle threat? He dug deep, pulled with his arms and pushed with his legs with all his might, feeling the tearing and popping he'd been waiting for. With one final pull, Faithful found himself sliding back along the floor of the cell, empty-handed. Adam I had disappeared in a puff of sulfurous yellow smoke. Faithful looked up again. The slat was closed. He smiled and thanked his God for this victory, knowing that he would never again have to contend with that old enemy. The following morning, Inanity brought another gift with Faithful's breakfast, a loaf of fresh-baked bread. Oh, thank you, Faithful said. You have no idea what a gift this is. You are a good friend to me, Inanity. But could I trouble you to give this half to my brother, Christian? He broke the bread and extended half of it out through the opening. I'll do it. Inanity said, for you. Thank you so much. Your kindness is truly a bright light in this dark and dismal place. Now, what were we talking about yesterday when we were so rudely interrupted? 
Looking out into the hall, he saw that Inanity's burden had grown immensely and was now larger and more cumbersome than his own had ever been. You were saying that all human religion and reformation can do nothing to cancel the debt of our sin, remember? Uh, owing the shopkeeper a hundred pounds and all that. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. You know, now that I think of it, I, I could have gone even further with that analogy, because you have to admit that even in your most serious seasons of cleaning up your act and living a good life, you certainly continued to sin, meaning you were yet piling up more debt. I've been there, my friend, and I can attest that during my most successful day of self-reformation, I committed enough sins to send me to hell forever, even if my former life had been faultless. So it's hopeless, then? Hopeless? Inanity, I have a hard time imagining you hopeless. But where do we find hope? That's the question. The only possible way is to obtain the righteousness of another, one who has never sinned. Inanity balked. That is... Why, that is not the turn I thought this discussion would take. Is this some sort of dark magic? Dark? No, of course not. And if you've thought about these things, you know it's the only possible way to clear your debt, to sanctify your present, to secure your future. But where can I find such a man? And would I not be sinning all the more to deprive him of his own well-earned righteousness? Oh, that's the beautiful part, Inanity. Not only does he want to bestow it upon you, he has in his person enough righteousness to save every last man and woman who ever lived or ever will live without becoming even the slightest bit less righteous himself. Who? Jesus, the Christ, the Prince of the Heavenly Land. He is the one who dwells at the right hand of the Most High. And by trusting in what he has done in the days of his flesh, when he suffered for us and hung on that tree, you can be justified by him. But how can one man's righteousness count as another man's before a just God? The Lord Jesus is Almighty God, and he did what he did and died as he died, not for himself, but for you and me, so that by his sacrifice our sins would be imputed to him and his righteousness, and with it his worthiness, imputed to us. This is truly fascinating, Inanity said. But I, I cannot believe that such a God would ever save me. I know my own heart too well, and my own past, and... Oh, please believe me, Inanity, when I tell you that I was twice the sinner you are in my day. Yet I received him, and he received me. He paid my hundred pounds, covered all my present and future debt, and gave me untold endless storehouses of treasure beyond. Go to him and see... Inanity sniffed. I, I couldn't presume. It's to... not presumption. You are invited to come. Here, this, this is your invitation. Faithful extended the small book out into the hall and felt Inanity accept it. Suppose I do go to him. What do I do? What do I say? Approach him on your knees. With all your heart and soul, ask the Father to reveal the Lord Jesus to you. Suppose he responds with wrath. He will not. You will find him upon a mercy seat where he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to all who come. Say to him, God, 
Be merciful to me, a sinner, and cause me to know Jesus Christ and to believe in him, for I see that without him I will be utterly cast away. Tell him, Lord, I have heard that you are a merciful God and have ordained that your son be the savior of the whole world and that you are willing even to bestow him upon such a poor sinner as I, for I am indeed a sinner. Lord, magnify your grace in saving my soul through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tell him that and see what he does. Uh, I will try it, Inanity said. Faithful did not sleep that night. Instead, he prayed for Inanity, for Christian, for his own courage in the face of the final trials that were undoubtedly fast approaching. And yet, despite having no sleep, when the sunlight appeared in his room and the sound of distant birds danced in, he felt well-rested. Inanity came to the door much earlier than usual and seemed more dejected than Faithful had ever seen him. He was bent so low that he could peer through the meal port without stooping any further. Did you do as I told you? Faithful asked. Yes, over and over and over. And did the father reveal the son to you? He did not. No, but here you are, talking to me again, telling me how you did not leave off praying, but rather went to him again and again and again. Why? Because I believe that what you told me yesterday is true. That without the righteousness of this Christ, all the world cannot save me. So I pleaded. And as I pleaded with your king, I thought to myself, if I leave off, I die. And I am unwilling to die anywhere but at the throne of grace. And then I found this in the book you gave me. He flipped to a marked page. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Faithful nodded. And so you will continue to beseech him. If it takes a thousand years, as long as I am still alive... Open the door, Inanity! Came a gruff voice from out in the hall. It's time to rid our city of these intolerant fanatics. Inanity watched the trial from the balcony of the courthouse. He was tied up in knots, anticipating the moment when the judge would call for any witnesses to speak on behalf of the accused. When that happened, he knew he would have to respond. He also knew what this would mean for him. He'd seen the abuses heaped upon the men and women who dared to speak up for the pilgrims outside the guardhouse. Still, he was willing to endure that for faithful. But the call for sympathetic witnesses never came. Before Inanity knew what was happening, the crowd had dragged good faithful out into the fairgrounds and was beating him mercilessly. Helpless, Inanity could only look on, his heart breaking, thinking that if Faithful only looked his way, he would no longer find it hard to imagine this light-hearted man utterly hopeless. Someone pulled the embroidered jacket from the pilgrim and tossed it aside, disdainfully, as if it might infect him with the odious convictions of its owner. The mantle landed at Inanity's feet. Already bent down by the weight on his back, he picked it up and held it close to his chest. Faithful was enduring the flogging with a stout-heartedness Inanity had only read about in poems and epics. The blows came one on top of another, and the blood flowed freely. Still, Faithful did not cry out. Inanity, however, could take no more, and withdrew, 
Back to his secret spot, a wooded area where he often went to be alone and play his whistle during breaks from work. Gripping the coat, he fell to his knees and cried out in his spirit, Father, I come to you again. Show me the sun. Give me what faithful has, even if it means giving me a death like his. Just show me Jesus. Show me Jesus. And then it happened. He did not see the Lord with his bodily eyes, but with the eyes of faith of understanding, the eyes of his soul. He saw Jesus looking down from heaven upon him, saying, Believe on me, and you will be saved. I will believe, Lord, he answered, but I am a great, a very great sinner. The Lord responded, My grace is sufficient for you. But Lord, what is believing? What do you require? Hear these words and understand. He that comes to me will never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. Inanity stood. I see, I do, I see, I see that believing in you and coming to you are the very same thing. That my heart and my affections running after your salvation is indeed me believing on you. But Lord, I still struggle to understand how you will accept such a great sinner as I am. He that comes to me, I will in no way cast out. I went into the world to save sinners, even the chief of sinners. I died for your sins and rose for your justification. I came to love you, to wash away your sins by my own blood. Yes, I see it now, Inanity said, tears streaming down his face. Satisfaction for my transgressions can only be found in your blood. I see it so clearly. Righteousness can be found in no one else. Inanity realized that the tears he'd grown so accustomed to shedding when he thought of spiritual things were now tears of joy, not of sorrow. Then he became aware of a rushing sound behind him and the heat of a great fire. Turning, he saw a fiery horse and chariot being driven by a great shining one, and at his side, faithful, smiling, and extending his hand to Inanity. Come, he said. Am I going with you to the celestial city already? Not just yet, the shining one said. We'll be making a special stop for you. As he stepped up into the chariot, Inanity held the embroidered coat out to Faithful and said, I kept this safe for you. <laughs> Keep it, Faithful said with a wink. Oh, and uh, you probably want to hang on. With a whoosh, they took off at a frightful pace. Inanity saw cities and forests and rivers fly by, and then it became a blur as they traveled he knew not where with supernatural speed. Just as quickly, they came to a stop. Faithful embraced his friend for the first and last time and said, I will see you again in the celestial city. For now, what you seek is at the top of this hill. You know what you will find. Go there straight away. Godspeed. Inanity stepped off the chariot, and when he turned to wave goodbye, it was already gone. A road stretched out before him, walled in on both sides. Well, onward and upward, he said, and began to move quickly up the incline. 
The growing weight on his back had become excruciating over the past few hours, but Ananity put the pain out of mind and pushed ahead, step by step along the road as it grew both steeper and narrower. Within an hour, he reached a leveling, where the road curved, bringing him to the mouth of a rock-hewn tomb. He leaned in, hoping to see the risen lord there, but instead he heard the words of the book in his head. He is not here. He is risen. Go! On the mount, you will meet him. Running now, he resumed the climb up toward the summit of the hill where he could now see a large wooden cross. Suddenly, he stopped his ascent. Something was different. He stood straight and felt his spine decompress. The crushing weight was gone. Again, he ran until he reached the cross and fell down at its foot, praising the Lord who died there for him. He kissed the cross again and again as the tears flowed. Peace be with you. He wheeled to see three shining ones approaching. One of them he recognized. Back so soon, he said with a smile. Your friend is safe in the celestial city, happier than he has ever been on this earth. But we are here now to attend to you. He raised a hand and said, You are a new creation. No longer will you be known by your fleshly name. Instead, you will be called Hopeful. Hopeful, he repeated. And know, Hopeful, truly know that your sins are forgiven. Another shining one came forth and pulled the cap from Hopeful's head. He then undressed him of the filth-stained work clothes he wore and dressed him in clean, new garments. Then, taking the embroidered coat from Hopeful's hand, he helped him put it on. It fits perfectly, the pilgrim marveled. The third approached him and placed a mark on his forehead and a scroll in his hand with a seal upon it. Keep this close to you at all times, he instructed. Look upon it for comfort as you travel and present it at the celestial gate. Hopeful stayed at that place for hours, praising God for his goodness and mercy and power and holiness. It was nearly midnight when it sunk in that he had no idea where exactly he was or how to get back home, much less in the dark. But he'd left his duties undone. Men were going hungry because of him. I suppose I should just continue along the narrow way, he said to himself and began to descend the hill. Within ten minutes, he recognized the terrain. It was the lazy descent into Vanity Fair on the north end of town. He could have traversed it blindfolded. As the lamps and fires and the glow of tents came into view below, it occurred to Hopeful all at once what his next move must be. That man Christian was almost certainly back in his cell, destined to die, just as Faithful had. Hopeful could not let that happen. He circled around to the courthouse, dark and empty, and using his key slipped in the front door. By feel and memory, he made his way to the storeroom beside the judge's chambers and let himself in. A few fireworks exploded outside, and by their lights, Hopeful saw what he was looking for, Christian's sword. He grabbed it and turned to leave. Who goes there? A man growled. Show yourself. He held a lamp out over his head, spilling light onto a hate-filled face. Hopeful sighed. Of all the guards, this was the last man he wanted to deal with. He took a deep breath and came out into the light. You, the man said. 
You're a little late with the evening meal, aren't you? You should have heard Colonel Fury going on and on about it. You'd think he... Wait, what are you wearing? Is... is that the coat we pulled off the prisoner today? Hopeful swallowed hard. Yes, it is. The guard stared at him for a long moment, then burst out laughing. Oh, oh, oh that's good. <laughs> I, I needed that tonight. Oh, I could always count on you to make me laugh. Oh, inanity. That's not my name anymore, he said, and I do not wear this garment as a joke. I have been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and I belong to him. The courthouse shook violently, throwing Hopeful to the ground and sending the guard lurching forward, off balance, tripping over Hopeful and sprawling into the storeroom. The earth still rumbling, Hopeful pulled himself awkwardly to his feet, slammed the storeroom door, and locked it, leaving his key in the door. A massive statue of Lord Self-Love, the first man to serve as judge in vanity, came crashing down. Hopeful leapt out of the way just in time, and the statue slammed against the storeroom door. An aftershock rose and subsided. Hopeful heard shouts from behind the door, along with the rattling of keys, but it would have taken ten men to dislodge that statue. Sorry, Hopeful called out. Truly, I am. I'm sure someone will help you out in the morning. Sleep well. Hopeful rushed down the back steps to the dungeon, only to find the door to Christian's cell standing wide open and the room empty. A rescue now unnecessary, Hopeful's plan evolved. He can't have gotten far, he thought, as he rushed up the stairs and out into the night. He stood on the courtroom steps and gazed out into Vanity Fair, his eyes peeled for his fellow pilgrim. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional voice talent this week by Josh Loftus. Other sound effects and music licensed from Pond5 and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. Hi, and Silver. Good. Check.